Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops. Bienvenidos, bitches, and buiti binafi. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about serial killers of color and the victims. Uh, however, we are on a little break. And in the meantime, we wanted to share a true crime goodie with you from one of our pod pals. What's this episode about today, Beth? Today's episode is Crimes from the East, a South Asian true crime podcast where they embark on a journey through twisted, wicked crimes and strange phenomena from the mysterious eastern lands of India and South Asia. Well, all right, here we go. Enjoy. Welcome back to Crimes from the East, your Desi True Crime podcast. And today, after weeks, if not a whole month, we finally have Alex back in the house. Dun, 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 dun. Hello. Dun, 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 dun. Welcome, Globetrotter. Hello, hello, my adoring fans. The wait is at last over. <laughs> How have you been and where have you been, Alex? Tell us everything. I'm pretty sure I got abducted by aliens. It's all a blur. It's all a blur? Yeah. I mean, no probes, thankfully, but <laughs> beyond that, all I can recall is a bright light. I might have seen a polar bear or two. You went all over the North American continent, didn't you? I actually legitimately saw nine bears this summer. It was crazy. And I asked each and every one of them if they would want to adopt me, and there were no takers. I feel oh, completely oh no. rejected. 
Well, at least now you, you're back to your original plan of uh, being one with the wolves. The bears don't want you, Alex. You got to go with the wolves. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, America still exists. It's all on fire. So that's fun. Poor California. It was crazy. I got to taste just the tiddliest little taste of what the apocalypse must feel like because driving through Idaho was like being in a, you know, post-apocalyptic wasteland with all Mm. the smoke and you couldn't see anything. I've driven through Idaho before, believe it or not. Hmm. Why did this drive happen twice in my life? I don't know. I don't know anyone in Idaho, but... The first time it was cool. It was, you know, like a lot of grass and there was some waterfalls somewhere and it was, it was nice. Right. And this time it was like, you couldn't see 10 feet away from you and you're just on a road and everything's gray and you can even smell the smoke coming in through the car. It was nuts. It was really bad. Well, I've only eaten Idaho's potatoes, so that's all I know about that state. And California too. Oh, you know where I drove through when I was in California? Where'd you go? I drove through Dahmer Lake. Dahmer Lake? Which is where a group of pilgrims got trapped for an entire winter back in, I don't know, the 1800s at some point. And they had to resort to cannibalism to like get through the winter. And it was this huge disaster. The Donner Party. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, I saw the lake. I was there. I witnessed the carnage. You feel chompy when you look at your um, trip mates. You feel a bit chompy. You're like, nom, 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 nom. something's coming over me. You look delicious. <laughs> I felt a <laughs> hunger that only hands could satisfy. Random bit of information, which is what my brain is made up of primarily. Random information. Well, you are a podcaster now, so I think that's normal. So here goes. Did you know that your fingers have the same density or integrity as that of a carrot? I think about that all the time. It makes eating carrots really weird for me. It takes the same amount of pressure to bite through a carrot as it would to bite through your own finger. Exactly. But your sense of self-preservation prevents you from doing that. So you're never able to actually bite through your finger. It seems impossible, but it's not. So, um, yeah, let that float around in your brain a little bit, listeners. Self-preservation. That's all that comes between us and the zombies. Yeah, you get a little hungry one day and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. (laughs) Jump. Okay. Well, I have been kind of taking a little summer break. I got a little lazy because, you know, researching all this stuff takes time and I get tired. I get mentally stressed out. And I wanted a break, so I took a couple of weeks off. As you should. I played a new game. Oh, yeah? Tell me about it. Oh, my God. I started to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. (gasps) Nice. It is freaking amazing. Assassin's Creed has always been, like, phenomenal. The series is phenomenal. And they always delve so deep into history and mythology and bring that to life. Cool. Woohoo! Uh, This game is all about Sparta or Sparta, the Athenians and the Spartans at war with each other. So like, I don't know, five, six hundred BC. Yeah. And I am a Spartan mercenary, uh, a female Spartan mercenary. I picked that character, Cassandra. And I'm just um, roaming about the Grecian um, landscape, uh, picking people off for the right 
price, you know? I need to play this game. It sounds amazing. I love games that put you in like a different setting in a different time. Last winter during the second confinement we had here in France, I played RDR2 for the first time. Mm. And I still think about that game. Sometimes I'll just like be laying in bed being like, I can't believe they did that to Arthur. So Red Dead Redemption, which is what RDR is, is... Open universe. Cowboy stuff and, uh, you know, the Wild West, a lot of outlaws, and you basically get to play your story out however you want it. All the way back to when I would watch you and your sister play video (laughs) games. I've always been a watcher of Mm. video games, but I really enjoy watching. I thoroughly, it's it's great for me because I get stressed out when I have to shoot stuff. Yeah, me too. Like when there's, you know, some tense boss battle type of thing, I just, I don't want to do it. I haven't finished um, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. The Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. I haven't finished it. I just left the boss battle because I can't take it. I can't take it. The pressure is too much. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to kill the bad guy. He can live on forever. Um, So yeah, let's see how (laughs) far I take this assassin's creed odyssey along with me for the ride but i'm enjoying it so far and it's great it's great i'm I'm an amazing assassin by the way so i bet you're always killing it pia but um that was my true calling i guess no i'm kidding i'm not a violent person at all let's talk about what we're gonna cover in today's episode give me the russ that's gonna be my new catchphrase give me the russ you want to guess what part of India this uh, case is from? You've been there. Oh, I've been there? Bangalore. No. Goa. No. Uh, Gujaratistan. No. I know that's not a place. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but I kind of wish I was. Um, where else have I been? Bombay. Mm-mm. Today, we travel down south of India to a place popularly called God's Own Country, Kerala. Okay, I have been, that was going to be my next guess, obviously. Kerala is a coastal paradise full of lush green beauty and serene backwater canals where one can lazily spend days on houseboats um, enjoying freshly caught seafood right off your boat, cooked with spices in just the best coconut gravies. This is my yep. favorite Indian cuisine. I love the cuisine of Kerala. It is my absolute number one. Kerala is also home to the oldest Indian martial arts, traditionally called Kallari Payattu, meaning the art of combat in the battlefield. Kallari Payattu. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. Kallari Payattu. Also called Kallari, if you don't want to say the whole thing, is a 3,000-year-old martial art. So it's a combat technique with teaches weapons usage as well as hand-to-hand combat moves and it's very flexible very flowy very much like a dance and you have to be kind of like a i don't know lemur (laughs) jumping around (laughs) leaping around and it kind of reminds me of you know shaolin kung fu Hmm. very similar in style i was thinking capoeira because that's pretty dancey too right 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 yeah but i have no idea similar similar now, the Kallari schools and teachings was, they were banned in 1804 by the colonial Brits because they were being attacked constantly 
by Kalari warriors of one of the local kings in Kerala. And they were kicking their asses. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no more Kalari for you. This is too hard. Wait, Pia, are we about to talk about Kung Fu Kalari fighting? <laughs> the best part about Kalari is that women were also trained in this martial art. So it gets a huge <gasps> cool. vote from me. As a Spartan mercenary, this I related to this so hard. Pia, I'm kind of scared about telling people about this. <laughs> Why? What if it becomes like yoga-fied? Kalari? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's a dying art. So let's blow it up. Let's do it. Maybe it needs it. Yeah, just teach it as many people as possible. I don't want it to die out. Get that money. It's hard to find patrons for art anyway. True. I, I don't see like the youngsters of today learning this. It takes a lifetime, really, starting from when you're a child to learn this stuff. And it isn't lucrative. So, you know, if there's a bunch of white people who want to find themselves in Kerala doing kalari, go, go for it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Go do it. It's so hard to believe that God's own country could harbor crime, but human nature is pervious, like a fishing net. Greed creeps in and infects society like a disease with little provocation. And this case was brought to my attention by my mom back in 2019. Go ahead and name your mom our official, like, what should she be? The executive producer, head researcher? Creative director, I don't know, something. She's our idea, man. Yes, she's our think tank. She's the OG. So, yeah, thank you, Mom. Now, this case shocked the nation because it was devious. It was cold and calculated, and the murders felt especially evil because in India, this was the height of misogyny. The killer was a woman, and so <gasps> no one could digest these crimes finally i'm so happy you're happy people died alex <laughs> but i've been wanting a, a female killer for so long i'm tired of these indian men um i'm divided on that we'll see how it goes i still i don't like any murderers even if it's a woman and you know she's getting equal opportunity yeah 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 yeah, yeah. me neither murder is bad i hate it i don't know this is like a uh, murder feminism representation matters is that what you're saying we'll see we'll see i have a feeling i'm gonna eat my words pretty soon but for the moment i'm having like this moment of extreme and inappropriate glee okay all right so the source for today's episode there's like a bunch of news articles in the public domain but also there is an excellently made podcast called Death, Lies, and Cyanide. This is an Indian podcast. Um, it's a Spotify exclusive. And I cannot recommend this podcast enough. You absolutely have to go listen to it to get the nitty-gritty details about this case. The narration, the writing, the background score, everything is just top shelf. It's better than serial in my opinion. Ooh. Go listen to Death, Lies, and Cyanide. Are we coming for them? So you ready to get on to the Cyanide Express, Alex? Always. Choo-choo! Here I'm we ready. go. Let's get into it. Is it going to be one of those trains that's so full that I'm going to have to ride on the, the roof? As you should in India. <laughs> get on the roof, Alex. Okay. In late 2019, 
It seemed like the home of 47-year-old teacher Jolie Amma, who goes by Jolly, had caught the evil eye of someone with a deadly mission to eliminate her husband's family members one by one. The curse upon the pastel pink home of Jolie Amma and her husband had taken the lives of six people over 14 years. How could one woman bear it all? The story isn't as it seems. In fact, the story is a convoluted web of lies, deceit, and murder that was aimed at achieving one thing, money. Now let's dive deep into the lives of the Thomas family and how so many people's lives were stolen by a cold-hearted killer. Jolly Joseph was the fifth of six children her parents raised in a small town in the rugged mountains of the Iduki region of Kerala. They owned a two-acre black pepper farm. Callback. And also ran two small stores to support their family. Because India invented pepper. Yes, we did. And this is the most important message to be taken from this podcast is that all that pepper for your cacio e pepe and whatever the what, India. We want credit. We want credit. (laughs) Okay. Now, Jolly's family did just fine. They were a normal middle class family and her siblings say that she was always one to avoid confrontation she was affable she was friendly and she was a pleasing type of personality nothing you know nothing weird or strange or out of the ordinary happened in their childhood roy thomas was the eldest son in the thomas family he had a brother rojo and a sister renji their father was tom thomas and the head matriarch of the family was annama thomas Annama and Tom Thomas were highly educated and were well-regarded teachers in the community. They were always ready and willing to help the neighborhood children with their studies and exam worries. Tom Thomas had retired and Annama was the one still working to support the family back in the late 90s. They lived in harmony in their pastel pink home, lovingly called Ponna Mottam House in Kudatai, Kerala. I'm sorry, but there's a very missed opportunity here. It should have been the Punamatam Palace. Punamatam Palace. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Way better ring. Come on, yeah, people. Way better. Punamatam. Yeah. I like this word. In 1997, at a housewarming celebration, Jolly and Roy Thomas met, and they were soon talking on the phone for hours. Jolly had found a good match with a young man from a good family, so she was kind of Please, she was eager to get this thing going. Even though love marriages weren't really the norm back then in this area, Roy's mother, Annama, came around and accepted their alliance. The main reason she accepted this relationship was that Jolly had told her about her own educational achievements. Annama was highly educated. She was the matriarch of the family, so she respected that Jolly was also equally educated. Because her son, Roy, was only educated up to class 10. He never really studied beyond that and wasn't able to keep a stable job. So he wasn't employed, which, I mean, that's strange. I don't know. Sounds like she's getting the short end of the stick. Kind of, isn't it? Now, Annama was happy to have found an educated daughter-in-law like Jolly, who claimed to have a master's degree. This was a lie. Jolly hadn't even managed a bachelor's degree, by the way. Forget a master's. 
This one lie was the catalyst for the first murder. Now, it's intriguing how lies like this can snowball out of control like we saw. Have you heard of the Jennifer Pan case? No. Jennifer Pan in uh, Canada, I believe. She murdered her mom and tried to kill her father after lying to them about her education. They were paying for her college and she wasn't going. She was just embezzling that money. When it was all about to come crashing down after graduation, she just wanted to kill them instead of telling them about her lies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Back to our coup de thai case. In 2001, okay, so it's been maybe three years since they got married, Annama, the sole breadwinner for the Punnamotam family, she finally retired and now looked upon Jolly to provide for them since she was so highly educated. It's sad that she did not insist upon her son doing the same. Like, yeah, I don't know if he had some genuine, maybe he had learning difficulties or something or he was just inept. I don't know. But by all accounts, he was called lazy and a loser by many relatives and family friends. So I don't know. I can't. Yeah, who knows? I can't figure out. Only until recently have we been able to actually identify most learning disorders or developmental delays that affect people in more subtle ways. So Exactly. He could even have just been depressed, like clinically depressed or something, you know? Yeah. Everyone just called him a lazy bum. Yeah, exactly. A lot of lazy people aren't lazy. They're dealing with something that they can't explain and they they don't know how to put it into words. Yeah. Look at us. So non-judgmental. <laughs> I mean, it does suck that Roy didn't even try to support his family. He could have done something, I guess. I don't know. Do something with your hands. Yeah. yeah. Of course, there is little to no dignity of labor in India. So educated families will rarely indulge in blue-collar jobs. Right. And this is one of the reasons I love the U.S. Because... You can do that here. Like, I feel so tempted to go work in Starbucks or Sephora or something. And I know that I can totally do it if I want to. Even though, you know, whatever, I have a master's degree and I worked in computers for 15 years. I can still go and do this and it'll be okay. I have a master's degree and I'm a freaking glorified dog walker. And isn't it amazing that you can do that? Yeah, I just hang out with dogs all day. I love it. (laughs) Now that the family's financial future was laying heavily upon the lying shoulders of Jolly, she had to quickly come up with another lie to cover her previously harmless lie about her master's degree. Yeah, that's how it begins. Jolly says that she needs to do a course and pass some additional tests to be able to teach at a college. She was targeting the prestigious NIT Kori Kori. Oh my god, I can't say this word right. Kore kore. Kore kore. It sounds Japanese. Kore kore. Kore kore. I can't do it, guys. I'm so sorry. Don't look at me. These pronunciations are hard. So (laughs) NIT is National Institute of Technology, and there's a branch of it in this place, which is, you know, one of the best schools for technology in the country. So she said she wanted to get a job there, and to do that, she needed to give more tests and study for those tests. And so to do this, she said she had to stay in another town for six months. A little physical distance gave Jolly respite from the quick-witted and sharp Andama's prying eyes. After the six months were up, 
Jolly came up with more tests and excuses, which brought her a little more time. But how long can one continue a farce like this, right? It can't go on forever. Yeah. And there was only one way out of this hole of lies. For the rest of us, that would mean coming clean and begging for forgiveness and understanding. But for Jolly, this was a turning point because she chose murder. In August 2002, Jolly was home on the auspicious occasion of Onam, which is a major festival in Kerala. Jolly was ready to make her deadly strike. Ooh, uh, here we go. Poor Anama. Her days were numbered now. Mm. Now, this was no impulsive blunder by a cornered liar. Oh, no, no, no. Jolly had to travel to a far-off town to get a prescription for euthanasia medicines from a vet. She lied and said she needed to put down a rabid dog. She got the prescription from the vet and then went to a different town's pharmacy to get the restricted substance called dog kill. That's subtle. There's no mistaking what it's for. Yikes. To figure out the right dosage and to confirm that she had the real thing, Jolly went to her ancestral home and fed the family dog, the dog kill, who died within minutes. Now, armed with the surety of a swift solution to her imminent hurdle, Jolly came home and lovingly made her mother-in-law Annama's favorite mutton soup. She served Annama and sat chatting with her as she ate watching as the spoons full of deadly poison went down Anama's throat. In minutes, she was throwing up, she was convulsing <gasps> in pain before dropping down dead. Oh my God. After waiting for a few minutes, Jolly screamed out and ran to get the neighbors for help. She told them that Anama had complained of chest pain and was apparently having a massive cardiac arrest. At the hospital, Jolly is front line and center, asking the doctors and telling them all about Anama's chest pain and suggesting that it was a heart attack, nothing else. The doctor simply agreed and closed the case. Now, this happens more often than you'd expect. Older people die and the doctors just assume natural causes unless there are obvious signs or if the family requests further investigation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel about this. Like, shouldn't doctors be the one deciding if it is actually a cardiac arrest and if it needs an autopsy or not? They just depend on the family to decide that. I have several thoughts and feelings. First of all, I'm disappointed that our woman murderer had to be a poisoner. It's just way too on the nose. Why do the ladies always have to be poisoning? It's easy. You got to work smart, not hard. I want to see a, like, berserker lady killer. I, I like uh, Eileen Wernos for that reason. She's breaking the mold. She's breaking the, the glass ceiling of serial killing. Eileen was totally cray-cray, though. She was nuts. Yeah, she was nuts. She wasn't she cold was calculated in, this, in that sense, you know. I, I'm not going to say that I respect this, but what I do find interesting is that she sat there and watched. Mm-hmm. Like, she sat there and watched it, and that takes... A uh, level of dark behind the eyes to just like watch it and then do a whole act afterwards. But yeah, when it comes to 
deciding whether or not to pursue an investigation in something Mm -hmm. like this, I feel like crazy shit happens all the time. And maybe the first place that people's minds go isn't to murder because that's just that's dark. Right. And especially because they had no reason to suspect it. Right. There's no problems in the family. Like She's a perfect daughter in law. Why would they suspect anything? I would have assumed food poisoning, but like, you know, a natural sort of food poisoning, like bad mutton or something. Heart disease is rampant in India, so it's not True. it's not something yeah. you'd be shocked at. Shocked. Everyone's right. got high blood pressure, everyone's got high cholesterol, and those are deadly if you don't take care of your health. Sometimes, you know, just it's just there's no escaping. What what is it what is that from? Is it from all the ghee? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just a genetic proclivity towards it. Even if you're totally healthy, you can't escape. Uh, I don't it. like that answer. <laughs> I know, I know. This tricky chapter in Jolly's life comes to a close. You'd think this would be enough to start with a clean slate for Jolly, right? Right? Yeah. Like, the only one who was asking questions is now dead. She's done. No. You can't build castles in the shifting sands of lies. Now, Jolly had eliminated the one who had asked questions, but she hadn't solved her problem of not having the educational qualifications to secure the jobs that she claimed to have procured. Oh, boy. That lie was still a lie. She didn't have a job in NIT like she claimed. There was no money coming in. There was no degree. So how would she support the family? Yeah, so much more work. She could just tell the truth and be a disappointment, and it would be just so much easier than this lying and killing Yeah, she seems to be more concerned with keeping up appearances. Yeah, what a dummy. Now, the usually timid and shy but friendly Jolly blossomed into an outgoing woman and was soon seen as the most dutiful daughter-in-law to her widowed father-in-law. She left no stone unturned in making sure all his needs were met. She cooked his favorite foods, she ironed his clothes the way he liked it, And she was the one giving him his daily meds every day and, you know, whatever he wanted. She was there. She was put on a pedestal by family, friends, and relatives as the ideal daughter-in-law. Years fly by. Jolly and Roy now have two children. And I assume that the measly pension of Annama may not have been enough to pay for all the added expenses of the home. Because Jolly was getting restless and looking for new cash sources. Over the years, Jolly had convinced Tom to sell all of his other smaller property assets and hand over the money to her. Mm -hmm. And she apparently invested in risky real estate dealings with a local politician called Manoj Kumar, Mm -mm. who is listed in the investigation as the fourth accused in the police charge sheet. Okay. She also had control over Tom's bank accounts. So basically, she's controlling the old guy in every sense of the word, like sweet-talking him into doing whatever she wants. The one issue that she got resistance from Tom on, and perhaps the most important one to her, was the rights to the family home. Tom refused to hand over the home to Roy and Jolly. He felt like since he had handed over practically everything else to them, the home must go to his other children, Renji and Rojo. Tom wrote a will to this effect as well. No, no, no. Tom, this will not do. You've made the cardinal mistake. You've gone against Jolly. Oh, man. 
Jolly hatched a sinister plan to force the hand of fate. There are two other co-accused in this case, by the way, and it's time to introduce them. M.S. Matthew, a distant relative of Jolly, like by marriage. He is a jewelry store employee, and there are allegations that Jolly and Matthew had an affair for years. Okay. And he is the one who procured cyanide for her deadly projects. Ooh, Jolly and Matthew. The other accused is a guy called Praji Kumar, who is also a goldsmith who worked with MS Matthew. So he's the one who got it, gave it to Matthew. Matthew gave it to Jolly. Uh, this is jewelry cyanide again? Yes, yes. Why is. <laughs> is there just so much cyanide being used on jewels in India? Or the world? I looked into it a little bit. It's the only way to do it. Cyanide is used to extract gold from alloys. So you don't just wear 24 karat pure gold, right? It's mixed with other metals to give it some strength. Like 18 karat, 22 karat, which means the remaining is not actually gold. It's mixed with other metals. So when you want to extract the pure gold from those alloys, you used either potassium cyanide or sodium cyanide to do that. Okay. That's what it's used for. Okay. Is that the primary use for cyanide? Is it being a poison just like sort of like a side side gig of cyanide? <laughs> yep. Yes, oh it is. God. And it's very hard to get in India. It is very highly controlled, like we talked about in the good. cyanide it Mohan case. Yeah. That's why it's always goldsmiths who end up being the source of cyanide in these kind of murder cases. Can I sidebar for one thing? Sure. I thought it might be maybe interesting for anyone who doesn't know to point out why the names in Kerala are so often these sort of like Christian sounding names. I believe that Kerala is a, has a pretty large Christian population. It does. Yes. So Kerala has always been huge on the trade route with the rest of the world because of all their exotic and sought after spices. Right? Mm -hmm. Kochi or Cochin was a spice trade port. And there was extensive trading with parts of Europe and Asia mm -hmm. through Kochi. And of course, with trade come missionaries and other related religious theologists and stuff. Right. And, and that's how religion spreads throughout the world. Yeah. And so that's why you have a huge Christian population in Kerala. And so they are actually Christian. Their names are not just Christian sounding. They are They're Christian. Christians. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like when I was there, I was I wasn't surprised by it, but it's just like not the first thing that comes to mind. Everyone has this. I mean, how many people mix up the word Hindu and Hindi and they just like mm. conflate the people and the language and the religion of India into one thing and like Yeah. Yeah. It's common True. misconception. All of the religions are there. Yeah, India is, you know, melting pot, land of all spirituality and religions, and people generally live in harmony together. Yeah. So, back to our case. M.S. Matthew got the cyanide for Jolly, telling Praji that it was needed to kill rats. Well, whatever Praji wants to say, like, he says he thought it was for rats, so he gave it to Matthew. Like, come on, Praji, there are rat poisons in the market, okay? Why would you risk your license for a stupid reason like this? So either he's incredibly naive or he's in on it. We don't know. We'll find out. He's charged for providing the cyanide. 
Jolly put the cyanide in her father-in-law Tom Thomas's herbal medicines, mushroom capsules. On 22nd of August 2008, almost six years from the death of Anama, 66-year-old Tom Thomas had just finished helping some neighborhood teachers with their tax deductions. Jolly brought him his meds, his mushroom capsules, for the day with a glass of water and a smile, still playing the role of a dutiful daughter-in-law. In a couple of minutes after he had his capsules, Tom clutched his chest in pain. He threw up and he fell to the floor. Jolly rushed out to call the neighbors since nobody else was at home. She rode with Tom to the hospital and again insisted to the doctors that he just had a cardiac arrest. Nobody suspected anything else as the cause of death. No sooner had the dirt settled on Tom's grave did Jolly and Roy produce a will which wrote the property in their name. There was How absolutely convenient. Yeah. There was absolutely nothing to the name of Roy's two siblings, Rojo and Renji, who by then were working and living outside of India. Roy explained to relatives that since his siblings were doing so well for themselves, Tom didn't think they needed any part of the inheritance. Now, this is highly unusual, especially for Rojo, since male heirs almost always get equal parts of the family estate. And by law, female heirs must also get a share, but it isn't the norm in a lot of communities. Right. So they made a fuss. They're like, excuse me, how come our father didn't leave us anything? Now, Jolly's own siblings had become wealthy over the years, expanding their little pepper farm to grow other exotic spices like cardamom and stuff. And they were living in expensive homes at this point. They were doing well. Jolly would often ask her father and her siblings for money, citing some urgency or the other. Her brothers financed the education of her kids, but they chose to transfer the funds directly to the children's school instead of to hand it over to Jolly. Because they didn't trust her with money. They say that she seemed to live an extravagant lifestyle, but always needed money. So it was puzzling to them because she had a great job in NIT. Now after Tom's death, Jolly finally was the owner of her own home. So she bought a car. She pretended to go to her fake job in NIT in style. She had kept up this this show every morning since 2002, by the way, where she went and what she did for 14 years is a mystery. We still don't know. 14 years. That's (laughs) nuts. That's such a long time to keep up the lie. I wonder what she was doing. What was she doing? Gambling. She said that she actually sat in the NIT food court sometimes and that she spent time in the beauty parlor on the campus, like a salon often working there as well. However, when the police tried to verify these claims, it was denied by everyone on the NIT campus. It is a gated institute and there is a strict carded entry. You can't just walk onto the property like that. And there is no record of her visiting, like she claims. Like every single day, I just went and sat in the food court. No, she didn't. We don't know what she was doing this whole time. She had to have had some kind of side hustle for sure. I do think it is potentially pretty easy to to loiter. (laughs) For 14 (laughs) years? Eight hours a day? 
could that be my life? <laughs> it would be hard. How would you like hide from everyone? Because these are not yeah. like big cities like Boston and New York and Bombay and Kolkata. No. Yeah. Yeah. These are small towns. Everyone knows everyone. So how is she hiding for 14 years? It's a feat. I just feel like she went to so much effort, so much effort to maintain the lie. Mm-hmm. She could have just told the truth. She was committed. She was just committed. Maybe she was like a narcissist. You know, they hate to admit they were wrong. Like you can't yeah. go back on a lie because it would bring into question your whole being. They don't want to yeah. do that. Yeah. So Jolly has been linked with several men and alleged to have used sexual favors as a weapon to get her way. People claim she was running a prostitution ring and blah, blah, blah. These are rumors. We can't be sure of this. Jolly herself hasn't corroborated any of these allegations and the police hasn't found evidence of such a racket. So let's leave it as rumors and forget it because people will claim whatever they want to claim. There's no solid proof. So no point. We can't speculate about that. Then left in the path of destruction was her husband, Roy Thomas. Now, Roy apparently knew that Jolly had lied about her education and her job and was apparently complicit in keeping her facade going so as not to disappoint his parents. After a decade of rocky marriage, Roy being unemployed was a huge factor in Jolly's unhappiness. She was trying so hard to hustle and keep her family afloat, and Roy isn't contributing, so Mm -hmm. I totally get her frustration. Mm. She longed for a better prospect. Divorce is almost unheard of in these parts of India. And for Jolly, of course, who needs divorce? Yeah. There's always an easier way out. (laughs) That's actually so much harder. Not for Jolly. Maybe for us. Not for Jolly. By 2011, Roy had turned into a recluse from socializing and public matters, turning to alcohol to nurse his wounds instead. His wounds were partly caused by Jolly's affairs, especially that with M.S. Matthew, who visited their home often. Seeing his wife flirting openly with Matthew under his own roof would have been a dagger to the heart, I'm sure. Yep. So on 30th of September 2011, Jolly convinces her small children to have an early dinner before Roy gets home. She had cooked Roy's favorite chickpea curry... And put the kids to bed at 7 p.m., hours earlier than they usually go to bed. Mm -hmm. Around 8 p.m., once she is sure that the kids are asleep, she goes down and mixes the cyanide into the chickpea curry. Now, in case Roy is not hungry when he returns, she leaves a cyanide-laced glass of water for him as a backup plan. (laughs) She knew he would definitely at least drink the water. Don't let your spouses know your routines too much. You got to keep them on your toes, on their toes. You got to keep them guessing. Don't eat their food. They cook for you when you come back. So be like, yeah, I'm good. Don't always eat it. Eat it sometimes, but always eat it differently. And definitely don't drink the same glass of water every day. Make sure, (laughs) you know, one day it's a beer. One day it's some OJ. One day it's water. One day it's a lessy. Like, you got to mix it up all the time. Your marital life should feel exactly like walking on, you know, in a minefield. That's yeah. what that's what it should be like. Always be unpredictable, people. Minefield is normal. 
for crime and avoiding crime. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, so Roy comes home and comes up to see the kids and Jolly asleep. Jolly was pretending, of course. He goes back down and sits down to eat his dinner. After 10 minutes, Jolly is unnerved by the silence in the home. Did her plan fail? So she quietly goes down and finds that the glass of water is empty and the food has been partially eaten. She hears Roy retching and struggling in the bathroom. She stands outside the bathroom door till she hears him collapsing and the noises stop. Cool and calm, now that our plan has come to fruition, Jolly washes all the dishes to remove all traces of cyanide 
and puts the food away as if there was no dinner for Roy on the table. She then used the home phone and called the neighbor to come help break down the bathroom door which Roy had locked from the inside conveniently. So for a third time, Jolly insists to the doctor, it's just a cardiac arrest, and it (laughs) would have been left at that. If it hadn't been for Roy's maternal uncle, Annama's brother, Matthew Manjayadil. Someone's finally going to ask a question? Yes. God. Now, Manjayadil was their neighbor. He was Annama's brother, so Roy's maternal uncle. He had been the one to come rushing in and break open the bathroom door. He saw Roy frothing at the mouth, so he insisted on an autopsy, despite Jolly's refusals. The doctors agreed. They agreed with Manjayadil. And they Mm -hmm. went ahead with an autopsy. Surprise, surprise. It's not cardiac arrest because they found traces of cyanide in Roy's body. He also had undigested food in his system. Where was the food from? All of a sudden, Jolly's assertion of cardiac arrest morphed into claims of Roy taking his own life. She started to say that they were going through financial hardships and since he couldn't help the family, he was depressed and he had taken his own life in despair. Now, unfortunately, people accepted this story because Roy had grown depressed and he had been found in a locked bathroom. Yeah, I mean, if you don't think about it too much, it makes sense. If you don't care enough to question it, it's fine. Yeah. The worst part of the aftermath is that Jolly convinced everyone in that closed circle to not publicly reveal that it was suicide by cyanide. She wanted to spare her children the trauma. And so she asked that the cause of death be circulated as a cardiac arrest off the record. And people agreed. So now that Roy was dead, Jolly was truly free. And she was the sole owner of all the properties in the Punnamuttam family. It seems as if people were willing to accept any damn story but the truth. For real. People were dropping dead around Jolly. At an alarming rate. We are programmed to believe that people are inherently good. We trust with abandon because we believe in the social markers for being a good human. And Jolly had all of those social markers. She was pious. She went to church. She attended Bible readings. She was very helpful to everyone in their neighborhood. She took care of her children. There was no big sign on her that read murderer. But there were a bunch of small red flags if only someone had looked. Yeah. In Hindi, there's a saying which goes, which means to unsee what we can clearly see. And that is what people of Kudatai had done. They ignored the small red flags because Jolly had played the part of being a normal human so well. After these three murders, which is the one person who stands out as being in danger to you? Who's next? Well, the uncle. <laughs> Mr. Noisemaker. Bingo. Bingo. Matthew Manjayadil. Jolly had fooled everyone but one person, Roy's uncle. He kept insisting that the police look further into the death of Roy and that of his sister and Tom Thomas as well. He was suspicious now. 
as we have seen, if you turn into a thorn in Jolly's side, she will permanently remove you from existence. That is exactly what happened to the 68-year-old retired military man, Matthew Manjayadil. Now, he was ironically related to Jolly via marriage because her aunt is the one married to Matthew. Okay. And you'd think that because of this, she would be more close to him, but I don't think she cared. No. I mean, at nope. this point, it seems like she's kind of getting the taste for murder. So yeah. the first one, maybe that really felt out of necessity. The second one was like, ah, well, it worked the first time. But the third time, you're starting to see this as an easy solution she's probably starting to get a bit of confidence i mean to be a liar like this i feel like you have to be a bit of a narcissist to say the least total sociopath just start getting away with murder it's like what can't i do jolly figured that she had to work her charms on manjadil quickly yeah. so that he seizes this questioning of the thomas family deaths she frequently cooked for him, she drank with him, and put him at ease. Although, I suspect that he was never really at ease around her. I mean... Maybe he had been doing the same to her mm. to find out more about Jolly. That's what I suspect. I don't know. This is just my speculation. You would think he just smelled, you know, smelled something. Because Matthew Manjadil's wife, Jolly's aunt she refutes all of this she says that her husband never sat and had drinks with people it's not like he drank all the time and he wasn't going to drink with jolly so he was doing something out of his routine with jolly and i suspect that he was also trying to find out what was going on so they were both trying to play each other yeah in feb of 2014 on one such evening of allegedly drinking together Manjayadil left a bottle of whiskey at Jolly's home. After a few days, there was a wedding in the family and everyone on the block has gone to attend the ceremony except for Manjayadil. He stays back, citing ill health. Jolly also makes an excuse and stays back from the wedding. She goes over to his home and cooks lunch for him and they eat together. The food was pristine though. If the police test any of it, it would be clean. There's nothing in the food. It's in the whiskey. This time, the lethal poison was administered via the half-finished bottle of whiskey. There's poison in the poison. Jolly served him a glass along with his lunch. As expected, Manjayadil fell to the floor, writhing in pain and dying in minutes. Damn. The cherry on Jolly's murderous endeavor this time was that Manjayadil was a known heart patient. He had just undergone an angiogram, and even though he didn't have any currently alarming heart issues, nobody batted an eye or questioned his death, especially when she claimed it was cardiac arrest. How many times has no one heard of the boy who cries wolf in this town? It is surprising, isn't it? It's kind of weird. Does everyone in this town have heart problems? Is this too much just... coconut. Ah, yeah, too much coconut oil? I don't know what's going on. But now there is no one to question Jolly. Maybe now Jolly is done with her trail of death. Mm -hmm. We should be all done with murder now, right? Jolly has everything. Yeah, what more? The answer is no. Her children? No. no. I don't know. I'm speculating. Jolly's first husband, Roy, had as a cousin called Shaju Zakaraya. 
and everything that Jolly wanted in life from a partner, she saw in Shaju. He had a stable job as a teacher in a private school. He had a happy home with his wife, Celie, and two children, a 10-year-old son and two-year-old daughter, Alfine. The Thomas and Zachariah families were close, and Jolly often took care of the children. Her own son and Shaju's son were good friends. Two-year-old Alfine was pampered and doted on by Jolly, who played with her, fed her, and even sang her lullabies to put her to sleep on many occasions. This happens in most close families, aunts and uncles. They serve as secondary parents. Mm -hmm. It takes a village to raise a child, right? That's what they say. Yeah, and I'm really missing that village because, God, I need help. I need help with my little tornado. (gasps) Murder is evil, but the betrayal by a parental figure makes it even more devious. A mere three months after the death of Matthew Manjayadil in May 2014... Shaju and Silly Zachariah had arranged for an elaborate communion ceremony for their son. Mm-hmm. Jolly was there, of course. She played with Alfine all morning. When it came time for lunch, she asked Silly to feed the child some lunch because she was very hungry. She was getting cranky. Now, Silly was busy attending to guests at the communion and she asked if Jolly could feed her. So Jolly prepared a plate for the child, but strangely insisted that the child's grandmother feed her instead of Jolly. Now, this was to ward off suspicion from herself, of course. Yeah. With the first bite itself, Alfine began to cough and retch. At the second bite, she was noticeably choking and struggling to breathe. The guests all surrounded them and tried various methods to dislodge food that they Mm -hmm. thought the child was choking on. Alfine was rushed to three different hospitals close by, but the doctors could not stabilize her. They shifted her to a bigger hospital for intensive care. After three days on life support, <gasps> little Alfine, barely two years old, lost her life. Damn. Days. The murder of Alfine was allegedly done because Jolly had her eyes on Shaju, her ultimate target was his wife, Celie. But with Celie gone, Jolly would have had to take care of little Alfine, right? Now, this was Mm -hmm. not something she wanted to do. Especially so because Alfine was a sickly child and required a little more care than usual. And so, Alfine was gone. Yeah. Man, I just can't. Like, a two-year-old... This bitch. That's all I can say. It's so cold. So cold. Like, what has a two-year-old done to you, goddammit? Why would you kill a two-year-old? Like, what's the logic? I I don't quite understand the logic, except that she doesn't want to deal with the kid if she gets rid of the mother. So, like, why? It's so devious, right? Like, okay, you're killing a husband that you really don't care about. Fine. I mean, of course, that's not, it's not fair, but a two-year-old child, that kind of proves your psychopathy like you're a total psychopath if you do that yeah yeah yeah. it'd be interesting to do a psychoanalysis of this character to see if there were any signs like as a child if there's any of that serial killer soup happening okay i'm just gonna send you a picture that's 
Celie the mom, and that's little Alpine. So now we're at four. Uh, no, we're at five. So our current score is Annama Thomas, Tom Thomas, yes. Roy Thomas, yep. the uncle, mm-hmm. Manjadale, uncle, and, and Alpine. Now. Alpine. So we're at five. Five people dead. Okay, so the last is is the wife. Mm-hmm. Right? Silly. Silly. What's her name? Silly. S-I-L-Y. Silly. Jolly is kind of an interesting name. Jolly Joseph. The family annihilator. Oh, yeah. She was jolly the whole time. So, suits her well. She killed with a smile. I didn't want to make that joke, but I couldn't I couldn't not point it out. Okay, here it comes. Oh, wow. She's so matronly looking. Mm-hmm. I was expecting, like, a sharper bone structure. Pointy, like, Disney evil villain face. You were thinking, like, Maleficent looking witch. Exactly. But no, Jolly looked like any old... Auntie in the neighborhood. She yeah, was totally oh normal God. looking. I wonder if her face ever changed and went like totally dark. You know, like she'd turn away from a room of people and just go like dead in the eyes. Like thriller eyes? Yeah. I bet oh, the only people who saw that didn't live to tell the tale. Right. Now comes the last murder in this series. Now, after Alfine's death, Celie was understandably inconsolable, as was the grandmother who had fed Alfine that day. Because remember, everyone suspects that this was a choking accident. And so that grandmother had to live with that guilt that she's the one who kind of brought about the death of this little baby. Yeah, that's so mean, too. Can you imagine, like, how would she have lived with that guilt? It's just, it's just terrible. Poor Granny. Jolly and Celie became inseparable. Jolly was suddenly the ever-supportive friend to Celie, and she could lean on her in times of need and to share her sorrows with her. After a year, Celie wanted to have another child to try and fill the void with the arrival of another baby. And she started to take Ayurvedic fertility supplements. One day after taking them, she fell incredibly ill. She displayed similar, if not identical, symptoms to Alfine's death. Now, she nearly died as well, but somehow managed to escape the brink of death by timely medical assistance. Celie's luck was short-lived, of course. Because in 2016, Mm-mm. Jolly had waited long enough and she put into play her next lethal move. The Zachariah family was attending a wedding in a neighboring town. Strangely enough, Shaju had to get urgent dental care that evening while they were, you know, at that wedding. And they booked mm-hmm. an appointment in that town. Even stranger still, Jolly and her son showed up there at the dental clinic to give them moral support. Okay. Apparently, Shaju has odontophobia or a fear of dentists of sort. Who doesn't? 
And he needed all the support that evening. So Jolly showed up. Okay. I mean, it's kind of weird to me. I don't know. But I guess they justified it somehow. Yeah. And, you know, because she ingratiated herself onto Celie. Oh, you know, I'm there for you. Your husband's panicking. I'll come help out. I mean, it still feels weird to me. But in that moment, she may have justified this whole thing. So still dressed in their finery from the wedding party, Celie and her son waited with Jolly and her son in the lobby of the dental office while Shaju got his teeth looked at. Celie's mm-hmm. son recalls that Aunt Jolly had given his mother a bottle of water and some kind of a tablet to eat. Minutes later, Celie collapsed into convulsions and started to froth at the mouth. Shaju heard screams and came running out to see Jolly cradling Celie in her lap. Shaju then called Celie's brother, Sijo, and they told him that Celie was having an epileptic attack, which she had suffered from in the past. So they made him go get her pills while they waited at the dental clinic with Celie laying on the floor. Yeah. Precious minutes were wasted like this. In hindsight, of course, this seems totally weird and off and wrong. But in that moment, somehow Jolly had made it seem like the obvious thing to do. Um, aren't dentists supposed to be medical practitioners, technically? <laughs> like, what are the dentists doing with this person? Like, clearly having a medical emergency in their office. Mm-hmm. What's going on? I don't know I'm what's confused. going on. This people in this area seem to kind of be... I don't know, their eyes glaze over when Jolly comes into the scene. Yeah. So when the pills obviously didn't work, they got into the car and Jolly insisted on driving to a specific hospital, which was much further than the situation warranted. So when they got there, it was too late. Silly was declared dead on arrival. Was the husband in cahoots? It's not, it's not clear. We're not sure. Okay. The doctor suggested an autopsy. Yeah. Jolly convinced Celie's family to sign on the refusal for an autopsy. Because she's like, we don't want to cut up Celie's body. It goes yeah. against our beliefs, blah, blah, blah. And she convinced them to refuse an autopsy. Sneaky bitch. <sighs> the coast was now clear for our deadly diva. You'd think that she'd take it easy now and plan her next move carefully, right? Mm-hmm. However... It appears that Jolly was rather desperate and she wanted to waste no more time. So not even like a month after Celie's death, Jolly had somehow convinced Shaju's family that their marriage was the next best move. And she cited Celie's family as wanting this to happen. What? Yeah, Shaju was kind of shocked and he refused. He refused to entertain the idea of marriage at least until Silly's first death anniversary. Okay. And so they waited. They waited. They waited patiently, and just after the first anniversary, she brought up the topic again, and soon they were married. Silly's mm. family did not attend the wedding, and they refute the claims that they wanted this. In mm. fact, they were against the whole thing. Because you see, at Silly's funeral... Jolly was crying and weeping the loudest, as if it were a huge personal loss to her. Yeah. People were a little unnerved, but it wasn't suspicious. Of course, she was her friend. She's crying. 
But when the time came for Shaju to kiss his wife in a final goodbye, to his and their utter surprise, Jolly came over and kissed Silly right alongside Shaju. Oh. Everyone was shocked and quite scandalized. Super weird. Very weird. Why together? Were they that close? This lady is a total wacko. Mm-hmm. I think she lost her marbles. Tongue started to wag that Shaju and Jolly were probably having an affair. Yeah, I mean, the whole orthophobia thing sounds very sus. It sounds like they were in cahoots to a certain extent to me. Mm-hmm. Here, I sent you a picture. So people took a picture of that event when uh, Jolly and Shaju bent down to kiss Seelie in the final goodbye. <gasps> How freaking weird is that? Oh my god. Yeah, it looks like it looks like they're married. Why would you do that? That's his moment. That's Shaju's moment. I know. To say goodbye to his deceased wife. Why does Jolly have to come in and steal the thunder? It's not her moment. It's not Look her at moment. This one face. So their marriage a year later seemed to confirm their rumors, and that is why Silly's family wanted nothing to do with this. So according to Shaju, their marriage was strictly one of convenience and for the sake of the children having a family unit, and there was no romance in the equation at all. He says that Jolly was always lost in her own world, constantly messaging and calling mysterious people on the phone 24-7. He says that she pretended to talk to some colleague from the NIT college. Mm -hmm. And even neighbors saw her bring exam papers home to grade. And she talked to students on the phone sometimes trying to solve their questions. So, wow. Like, give this woman a damn Oscar because she acted flawlessly. Committed to the cause. She executed it excellently. Nobody ever suspected in 14 years that she never actually had this NIT job. Well, now that we've seen six murders, it's time for the end game. Jolly, our black widow villainess, seems to be unstoppable, wiping out anyone and anything that stood in her path to prosperity. Hmm. Are you wondering what happened? Like, how was she caught? Like, seems to be everyone's ignoring all the red flags left, right, and center. So how It's going to be caught? something stupid, isn't it? It's not stupid, but it's logistical. So in 2019, after witnessing so many strange deaths around Jolly, her first husband, Roy's siblings, they had had enough. Yeah. They were always suspicious of her. And the fact that they had been unexpectedly left out of their father's will had never sat right with them. So Roy's brother, Rojo, kept inquiring on the details of the deaths of his parents and brother. And he found out that there were many similarities in those deaths. And the most striking one was the presence of Jolly in every single case. Yeah. Now Rojo managed to get a police case file to investigate the deaths further. And soon an exhumation order was put into place. Oh boy. Jolly panicked, and she tried her best to fight this. She tried to convince other family members and even begged the church to support her in preventing the desecration of the dead. Nobody took her side this time. Something had changed now. Mm 
the mm-hmm. rose-colored glasses had come off. People well, yeah. were not willing to give her the benefit of the doubt anymore. I mean, people do tend to jump on an opportunity to, you know, hunt a witch. <laughs> I-, I feel like they were too conscious. They didn't want to be the ones pointing the finger. But if the family members said something, they were willing to jump on board. I guess nobody wanted to be the first to cast the stone. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's probably the more realistic and also nicer way to think of it. But um, good thing they were Christian, though. Because <laughs> as we know, Hindus cremate the dead and there is nothing left to investigate. I think that might be the one and only plus for burial for me. Future crime solving. I do like the idea of mushrooms and worms eating your body, though. If you're, um, what whatchamacallit, uh, fumigated? No. Embalmed. Thank you. Formaldehyde? Yeah. Then I don't like it. It's bad. So, as a desperate last measure, Jolly even went to Rojo with a deal. She said she would hand over the family property to him if he just took back the case and stopped the exhumations. So sus. What a dumb dummy. Rojo, of course, didn't take this deal. Along with his sister, Renji, he wanted to find out the truth. Renji, in fact, had had a close call back in 2002 when she too suddenly had fallen ill after eating something in the Punamattam home. Mm-mm. Prompt medical care had saved her life back then. So she was lucky. I'm sure... Was she a target? Yes, she fell sick. So after Annama's death, right, when Renji and Rojo had come home for the funeral, Renji ate something and she fell sick immediately. And I'm pretty sure Jolly was trying to to get her. Yeah, trying to get rid of her. So slowly after investigations propped up all kinds of weird details, orders came in to exhume all six bodies. So now they wanted to exhume Matthew Manjayadil, the uncle, Seely and Alfine as well. Mm-hmm. Jolly knew the jig was up, so she gave up. Yeah, Jolly's screwed. <laughs> she admitted to her children and her brother when they asked her if she was responsible for the deaths. She simply said, it happened. She didn't resist arrest and she easily started to spill the beans after... She was taken in by the cops in October 2019. And a lot of the details today come from her confession, along with the police charge sheet based on the investigations. So it's not as if she declared her innocence or she said, I didn't do it or the devil made me do it or whatever, blah, blah. She accepted it. She admitted it. She has been charged with murder, conspiracy, destroying of evidence and forgery because she forged Tom Thomas's will. Will. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The will that got her caught. Good. The trial in two of these cases began this year in 2021 and Jolly Joseph is presently lodged in jail. Two years ago, soon after she was arrested, she actually tried to take her own life by chewing on her wrist. And she would have died if the guards hadn't found her. Oh, oh my God. That carrot thing is coming back. Jesus. She tried to chomp her own carrot. Imagine the determination to end your life. You're chewing on your wrist to kill yourself. And she did a good job because they said 
If they had found her minutes later, she would have bled to death. So, oh, that's is it bad to say that's the worst part of the story for me? It is bad because this is not yeah, the worst part. It's bad. This is no, the I only know. actually violent part, right? Oh, yeah. Well, all of those deaths sounded very violent, but this is like the most visceral. This is like the madness really manifesting. And it's almost like death was better than her to face the music and accept that she was the murderer in this case. You know how we talked about her wanting to keep up appearances the whole time? Yeah, yeah. It's well, Yeah, it's almost like facing the truth was too much and she wanted out. Yeah. Just a few months ago in August of this year, Shaju actually filed for divorce, citing cruelty as the reason. Jolly did implicate him in the murders of his wife, Celie, and daughter, Alfine, but so far, the claims have not been substantiated. A rickshaw driver said that Shaju had taken a sack of papers from the Punnamotam house, um, which were destroyed later. So I don't know, what was Shaju doing in that home? What was he helping to hide? What was he taking out of the house? We don't know, but he was doing something shady. Yeah, I don't trust him. Jolly and Roy's elder son is now 21, and he accepts his mother's guilt. He asks for proper legal action against his mother according to her crime. But he suspects that there are more players in this story who are pulling the strings in the dark. And he wants justice for all of them. That is something a lot of other people have said as well. They're like, she could have done this alone. Like Now that I find misogynistic because, come on, why? Because she's a woman? That she wasn't capable of planning this whole thing and executing it. If this were a man, I'm sure they wouldn't have said this at all. Yeah. They would have been like, yep, he did it all. You're right. But because she's a jolly woman, they're like, nope, she's not capable. Her explanation for those 14 years of disappearing all day is that she was just loitering around the campus. Yep. Just loitering. I could see how maybe someone was involved Someone she was conspiring with, with all that time. There are rumors of her being connected to a lot of local politicians and shady characters and indulging in a lot of shady real estate dealings. Yeah, yeah. so she was part of some murky group. We just don't have the proof that they were involved in these killings or the motivation came from them. It feels like unrelated. It just sounds like she had more shady shit going on than just the murders that she was committing. So Because everyone that she murdered was close to her. Mm-hmm. It's not as if she was taking revenge or, you know, doing this for someone else. She was doing it for herself. That we know of. That we know of. Maybe she was an assassin. Maybe she spent her days out there just poisoning guys. Ooh. After this all came out, people started second-guessing a ton of other deaths in the town. Maybe that's why there was so much heart failure. It's actually just all her. It's just all jolly. Jolly failure. Damn. So as of right now, the case has no resolution, just like our last episode, the Shinambora murder. The case is still going on. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but it seems like the cops have somewhat of an airtight case, along with her confession, of course. But like we've seen before, confessions get retracted and you need more evidence to prove. We'll have to do a follow-up someday. I hope it's soon. I hope we know how this plays out. And if there truly are other players, they need to be caught. 
because six people, including a two-year-old, died, and that's not fair. That was that. That was dark. No bueno. Mm-hmm. So, Alex, what do you think? You know, like, <sighs> I regret saying that I was happy to have a female murderer. I regret it. You got me. It's bad. She sucks. She sucks. Um, but it seems like she uh, didn't cover her tracks very well. And besides her confession, it seems like there's enough evidence against her. She'd be all right. They should get her. I think she got that confidence after the first few murders when everything just went according to her plan. Whatever she said, people believed. So she's like, fine. But did she get a taste for it because she got away with it? Or was that... It doesn't say anywhere that she was killing for pleasure or anything else. It's it's very much framed as if she did all of this for property, for inheritance. So it was just dumb greed. So even Shaju, right? Shaju was Roy's cousin. She wanted to eventually kill Shaju as well and usurp his mm. property as well. So she would have the Purnamotam family's property from both sides. That's what so they're alleging. Yeah, I accept that. Of course, there has to be motivation, and I'm sure she liked it. She liked the feeling of being in control, being in power. She clearly is at least a sociopath, if not a psychopath. And this can't be just clinical in that sense. She definitely had some kind of a God complex in those moments. No, I can totally see that. Because, like, especially when you're preparing the food and, like, you're taking your role on as sort of, like, a caretaker for people. And then you, like, add this Mm -hmm. twist where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm taking care of you. Just kidding. I'm killing you. Yeah. So devious. This story took the nation by storm and especially in the state of Kerala as well. Generally, in most serial killings, what we see, right, like, especially when it's like a male serial killer. It's very violent. There's a lot of aggression. There's, you know, a show of power. And it's typically somewhat related to sexual crimes, although they do say it's more about power than sex. But it is a big factor. Yeah. We don't, we almost never see that in the case of female serial killers. It's always personal. It's always for, to you know, means to an end, really. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure they do get some power trip out of it. But yeah, it's always to achieve some other goal in their lives to make their lives better in some way. Eileen Warnos, like you mentioned earlier, is one of those rare cases. Yeah. Where, you know, it was very aggressive and it was more like a vendetta type of a thing. But yeah, this case, it's curious. I mean, of course, we don't know anything about psychology and stuff. But yeah, what do you think? I feel like Jolie was kind of a thrill seeker in different ways. If she had this racket going on with the um, like this mysterious backstory with politicians and there was mm. like the affairs she was having even, all of that is just like it, it all kind of lines up, I guess. Yeah, she's like being sneaky, being sneaky yeah. in different ways. And I wonder if that was because she didn't have a job and she was trying to make ends meet or if she just she enjoyed it. If she enjoyed being like a puppet master and lying to everyone and, Mm -hmm. you know, making up stories. Yeah. Who knows? We don't know. Well, we can talk about serial killers forever, I'm sure. But are you ready for a quick Bollywood corner? Yeah, I need to. I need to step away from this story a little bit, I think. (laughs) We're still going to delve into serial killing, so 
you're not getting complete relief. But uh, let's talk about some serial killer movies. The first movie I will recommend stars none other than Priyanka Chopra, oh which I'm sure everyone knows of now. I don't even need to explain who she is anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a movie called Sat Khun Math, which means seven murders forgiven. Okay. It's a dark comedy. It's about this woman who's looking for true love, but just never finds it. What happens to her husbands is what this movie is about, basically. Ooh. Take a look. It's called Sat Khun Math. An interesting movie. Okay. And I'm I'm not going to give out details today because, as you know, most of these movies, I, I'll end up giving spoilers. So just go watch it. You don't need a whole <laughs> synopsis from me on them. The second movie I'm going to recommend is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite thriller movies from Bollywood. It's called Khan, which means who or who is it? This movie is from 1999, I believe. I went to watch this movie in the theater. I was in high school at that time. I went with some friends and it was a big event for me because I didn't really go out by myself much. Mm-hmm. I had just moved to Pune and, you know, it was like my I'm grown up type of event. Mm-hmm. I was so excited to go watch this movie. As we were waiting for the movie to start, someone in my group spilled the ending, the secret ending. No! Yeah, yeah. I want to do punch them in the face <laughs> I'm not going to do that for you please go watch this movie it's called Kaun it has amazing acting from Urmila Matonkar and Manoj Bajpayee both of whom are just brilliant actors so okay. go take a look Kaun highly 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 recommend I know Ooh. I'm not saying anything but I really don't want to spoil it go watch okay. it Kaun <laughs> cool the third movie I want to quickly recommend is a Malayalam movie which is the language of Kerala. And I really wanted Mm -hmm. to put this in there because Kerala has some amazing movies. They make really good thrillers. They make tight thrillers. They don't add too much fluff. Yeah. Yeah, like tight. Their thrillers, especially the forensic stuff, is much, much better than the crap you see in Bollywood. So yeah, their police procedurals and serial killer movies are just far superior to the stuff you see in Bollywood. Nice. The movie I'm going to recommend today is called... Grandmaster. It's from 2012. It stars Mohan Lal, who's one of their biggest actors. Again, I don't want to give too much away, but it is about a serial killer who plays like a cat and mouse game with a cop. Okay. Go check it out. It's called Grandmaster. I like this name, Mohan Lal. Mohan Lal. Oh, excellent. He is so good yeah. as an actor. Oh, yeah. If he's in any movie, you can just, you know, blindly watch it. It's going to be good. Okay. It's going to be good. Love that. So that's it for my really brief and quick Bollywood corner. Yeah, just go watch them. Yeah, just go watch them. You can find the names of all the movies on Instagram and on our website as well, which is crimesfromtheeast.com. Definitely come and follow us on Instagram, guys. I'm so active there. If you want to come chat with me, if you want to tell me your thoughts on a case or if you want to recommend a case, come on Instagram. Give me a shout out. Alex is on there too. Yeah, hit us up. Hit us up. And of course, rate and review us, please. iTunes is the best place to do that. Yep. Send the podcast to your friends, your relatives, and even your enemies. Play it for your cats when you're gone. We have very soothing cat mom voices. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We can put your toddlers to sleep. Just Mm -hmm. turn us on in the background. You're going to love doing that. My kid loves our podcast, by the way. Like I play it in the car. (laughs) 
If I put some other podcast, she will protest. I hear from the backseat. Crimes from the East. No. Mama's podcast. That's cute. Okay. So we got to keep this PG. <laughs> we got to remember that. Children are listening. I beep out all the uh, swear words anyway. So <laughs> don't worry about that. No. Um, and that's all I had for this week. You know, there's a lot to unpack and we got to unwind after this saga of murder and it was action-packed man i really feel like i got punched in the gut with the story yeah and i'm sure there's a movie in the makes like i mentioned earlier and when that comes out we're gonna we're gonna you know we'll do like a watch party or something yeah and see if it holds up but until then um you know chill out wait for our next episode and you can join us in a couple weeks for Crimes from the East, your Desi True Crime podcast with a little masala and spice. And spice. Namaste. Namaste. That's it, folks. We hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Check out the show notes for details on where to find out more about today's feature. In the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Oh, yes. And our phone number is 602-935-6294. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.
On the morning of August 1, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.